You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, it's great to see all of you here. So, let me start by telling you the story of my wife and I's first date. Now, there's a whole part of the story I'm not going to tell you, which is where my wife had to tell me to ask her out. I'm not going to tell you that part of the story. You have to understand I'm a musician, which means I didn't have to ask girls out. Girls asked me out. Um, that's how it works. That's how it works in your, when you're in a band. that has nothing to do with you being good looking. When you're in a band, that's how it works. So I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how it was when I was 19. Uh, anyway, so um, I asked my wife out. I showed up to her house on a Friday night, and I walk up to her door. Now, just to kind of give you an idea as to what I was wearing, I was wearing a black T-shirt that in bright orange letters said Star Blazers. Now, if you don't know what Star Blazers is, it is a 1970s uh, Japanese anime show that's still my, my, probably my favorite show of all time. And if you've never seen it, it's a great show. It takes place in the year 2199. Anyway enough spoilers about it. You'll love it. Anyway, but once again, so it's this bright orange. I had like this horizon. If you can imagine like kind of 70s design, that's what it, that's what it looked like. So uh, great shirt, probably not first date gear. I was also wearing a pair of pajama pants that I bought at a thrift store for $1. And they were pajama pants, but I cut them off at the knees. And so you know how you cut off pants and then you... Um, you know, you wash them, and then they get like the little fringy things. So we ha they had that going on. And so they were like all frayed. I was wearing this plaid baseball cap backwards because I had a purple mohawk at the time, if you can possibly even imagine that. But, uh, but I was growing it out. And so because I was growing it out, uh, this part was still purple. This part was black. And then I decided since I was growing my hair out, I was going to grow a beard at the same time. So, and I've always had, for whatever reason, a little bit of red in my beard, and uh, not because I'm ginger, but because it just, I don't know how that works. And so I had, I was growing out this beard that was a little bit red, and then I had black hair, and then I had per this purple mohawk I was growing out. It was like a chia pet gone bad. And so, but I want you to imagine that guy showing up at your house on a Friday night, knocking on the door and saying, hi, I'm here to pick up your daughter. Like, no. I'm telling you, a guy looking like that shows up at my house to pick up one of my two daughters, and I'm going to jail. And that's just how that's going to work, because there will be a homicide. So, uh, well, maybe not. But anyway, so as you can imagine, I show up. Oh, good. We got the smoke going. So typically, this auditorium is non-smoking. So... James Joyce, everyone, uh, <laughs> helping us. There we go. It's all set? Very good. It's that, and then the guys in the back smoking pipes, if you could tell them to stop, too. So, very nice. Wow. I can't see you people at all. So, it's like, wow. Here we go. I don't even know what, I, I feel like I've totally lost this situation. So, all right. So, as you can imagine, um, I'm sorry, I'm still, I was like, 
Uh, you know, the smoke clears. I, I'm just, there's a lot, anyway, it's like, it's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jokes in, happening all at the same time. So, but you can imagine how I was dressed, and I was not a hit with uh, Carrie's stepdad. I mean, I, I, I wasn't. What's funny is, and this is not even part of this, but he was sitting in this little lazy boy chair, and uh, he was an avid smoker. And, um, and so when um, I walked in and Carrie said, hey, this is, this is my friend Bob, he turned and he goes, and just blew a bunch of smoke in my direction, much like this smoke right here. And so I didn't, you didn't get that at 10 o'clock. Uh, if you're here at 10, you didn't get that. And, so, and he was not a big fan of me. The good news is, almost 29 years later, still not a big fan of me. So there's that. There's that that I got going. So now, I mean, but you know, I could have been the nicest guy in the world, and yet I just wasn't exactly making the best first impression because at its core, a first impression is what it's supposed to be is this kind of example of what you are and who you are. And because whether you recognize it or not, you are an example. Now, you, get, you don't get to decide if you are an example. You get to decide if you're a good example or a bad one, but you don't get to decide if you're one or not. Because, and listen, you may be here and you might be the only Christian in your workplace. And you know what the other people that work with you are doing? They're watching your life. And they're watching your life and what they believe about who Jesus is, what they believe about who God is, what they believe about Christianity is largely based on the observation of your life. And you might be the only Christian in your family. And they're deciding what they believe about God based on how you live and how you speak. And, 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 and listen, and I get it. And sometimes you're like, yeah, but I don't want that kind of pressure. I don't want to be a spokesperson for Christianity. I just want to be a satisfied customer. And uh, the, the problem is we don't have those. Uh, all, all we have, whether you want to be a spokesperson or not, if Jesus has changed your life and you've talked about Jesus changing your life, then you know what people are expecting when they interact with you? Someone whose life is now different. And that's the thing that Paul is going to set forth today as he talks to his young protege, Timothy. And we've been kind of eavesdropping on this conversation. We're in the fifth message of a series that we've been calling Old School. We've been working our way through 1 Timothy, now, which is a letter in the New Testament. And I'll give you a little bit of a background. As I mentioned, Timothy was Paul's protege. He was his son in the faith. Paul had planted a church in the city of Ephesus, which is in like modern-day Turkey. And so... He plants his church, and he sends Timothy to be the pastor there. Now, Timothy's a young guy. We're going to talk about that in our message. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire outside, of course, of Rome itself. It was a very diverse city. It was a diverse city socially. It was a diverse city ethnically, and it was a very diverse city religiously. And while the culture was very confused and constantly changing about what was right and true and good... Paul's message is pretty old school because he's sharing these simple, unchanging truths that in many ways are like latitude and longitude in our lives. We can chart the course of our lives by them. And what Paul is going to encourage Timothy, and he says it in chapter 1, he's going to say it later in 2 Timothy, he's going to talk about fighting the good fight. Because as Christians, we don't fight like other people fight, right? Other people sling mud and get personal and make everyone who doesn't agree with them their enemy. But listen, that is not the Jesus way. Here's what Christians do. We love people that we disagree with. We stand for what's true, and we show them what's right by the way that we live and the way in which we answer. 
And that's at the heart of what Paul is going to talk about today because Paul is going to teach Timothy how to be an example to the believers around him and to the non-believing world that's watching him as well. So if you're in a place where you love, there's people that you love that are far from God and you want to be a good influence in them and on them, I'm so glad that you're here because we're going to talk about that. If you're in a place where you're younger and you want to influence people who are a little bit older, then I'm glad you're definitely in the right place. And if, if you're in the place where you have people in your life who believe all kinds of things, you're trying to figure out, I mean, how do I have this conversation about who Jesus is in a meaningful way and how Jesus has changed my life in a meaningful way, then you are 100% where you need to be uh, this afternoon because Paul is going to outline three very powerful ways to be an example to those around us. So we're going to start in chapter 4 and verse 1, and here's how we read it. It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. It is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to talk about in our time together. And the first is this, if we're going to be an example, and that is be an example in believing what's true. Now, this text, as we read it, should make all of us sit up straight and pay attention because this is heavy, that in latter times, People will depart from the faith. That is, people who call themselves Christians will declare they're no longer Christians and will walk away from their faith in Jesus. Why? Because according to Paul, they will be deceived and listen to what he calls doctrines of demons. This is teaching that isn't inspired by the Holy Spirit, but instead is demonic in nature. And we don't have to wonder what that means. Because Paul is going to describe in these verses what it means when he says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, uh, commanding to abstain from uh, certain foods. It's the idea of them trying to control every aspect of your life. And that is that they're, when he says that they're speaking lies in hypocrisy, that means that the stuff that they teach won't be true. And one of the ways that you know it's not true is because, A, they won't believe it and they will not practice it themselves. And here's why they're okay with that, because according to the next phrase in that same verse, their conscience will be seared. That means they will have lost all sensitivity in themselves to differentiate between right and wrong. Now, all of us have had those experiences, right, where we've watched the news, we've heard some kind of report, we scroll through something, and here's what we, you know, we read about like kind of the Bernie Madoff types that will steal the retirement funds of the elderly and have no remorse. And all of us have this thought. We're like, how in the world can someone do something like that? Don't they have just, even within, even if they're not a Christian, just within their, their conscience, this idea that there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong. But that's what a lack of conscience at the deepest level will tell you. And, uh, so he says that they're, they're going to speak lies and hypocrisy because their uh, conscience has been seared with a hot iron. He says they'll forbid to marry. Now, we live in a culture where getting married really doesn't matter. Uh, In fact, I I read this stat this week uh, from the CDC. Now, I know, I have my own issues with the CDC. Um, But they they posted this stat um, that I read this week that showed the percentage of people getting married is the lowest in 120 years. And once again, it's because in our culture, relationships are deemed as disposable. 
and you get what you need and you move on because, as you know, the heart wants what the heart wants and, and you just do what feels right. And, and the problem is anyone who has lived for any significant amount of time knows that just because it feels good doesn't make it right. Just because I want to do something doesn't make it good. In fact, I've learned that sometimes the things that I want are totally detrimental to my health and my life. Have you noticed that as well? Right? I, several years ago, when I say several years ago, I'm probably talking about close to 20 years ago, uh, I was in Southern California for, uh, at this pastor's conference, and I was a young pastor at the time, and I had the opportunity one evening to go to San Bernardino, to drive to San Bernardino and go skiing. And I got to tell you, I mean, California gets a bad rap um, because it's run by communists and lunatics. Um, but, uh, oh, okay, glad, glad you like that. That wasn't meant to be a statement, just a fact that the people who, I call it Californistan, but you know, you call it whatever you want. Um, but anyway, so, but California, as far, listen, California, like I said, it's run by lunatics, but um, as far as beauty, I don't know if there's any place more beautiful than California. And so, uh, but I was in California. Listen, I was, the, that morning I was in Hollywood wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. And that evening, I drove about an hour and a half and went skiing. That's pretty awesome. So um, the problem with California are the people who live there and the people who run it because they're, they're bordering on cuckoo and some are beyond the pale. And so anyway, but I had, never been, I had never been skiing before. But I grew up in Boston, which was, I was around snow all the time. Now you're saying, like, you grew up in Boston. How did you not go skiing? It was because my parents were Cuban and there's no skiing in Cuba. And if there's no skiing in Cuba, there ain't no skiing in my house. So that's that. So we get to San Bernardino, and, and I mean, you know, but I understood the concept of skiing. I just never been there. So we get on the lift. I'm with a friend uh, of mine named Steve, who's also a pastor. And we're on the lift together. And he says, all right, Bob, here's the thing. When you get off the lift, here's what your tendency is. You're going to want to push off. You have to fight that. And you want to just get, uh, put your feet down and just let the lift kind of push you and then... You're, you're just going to stand, and then there's a little slope going down, and then you get to them. Hey, uh, easy enough, easy enough. And so um, I get to the top, and he's like, all right, this is, where we, this is where we get off. So now, and I don't know, and I'm telling you, this urge that he said you're going to urge, you have the urge to push off. He wasn't kidding because I was right there. I'm like, let's get this party started, and I pushed off, and I just went straight flat on my back, and I knocked the wind out of myself. I was, <laughs> anyway. So they were like, my friends were around, like, are you okay? And you know, they were, I think they resuscitated me. And, um, and so then he helps me back up, and, and he says, look, Bob, we're, we're only going to be here for two hours. So stay on the green slope and, and uh, learn to use the skis. Now, I didn't know this, that there's different types of slopes, but there was the green slope, which I would have been okay with it, but they called it the bunny slope. And I was so insulted by that, that you want me to stay on the bunny slope? How dare you? And so, and then there was the blue, and then I knew I wasn't ready for, like, the black diamond, you know, like, and if you're not, if you've ever been skiing, it's all a matter of what the angle, you know, how deep, but the, the green slope was basically flat. I mean, like, it's about as flat as this, maybe like a minor incline, and so I, I was like, fine, I'll go on the, on the green slope or the bunny slope, and then, um, so I did, I went on the bunny slope twice, and then I'm like, I got this. Let's up the ante. So I decided, I knew I wasn't ready for the black diamond, which was basically just straight down. I think it's just people fall to their deaths because um, I'd never saw any of those people come back. And so anyway, so 
I decided I'm going to hit the blue slope because I figured it would be intermediate. And I didn't want to be on the bunny slope anymore. One, because all my friends were on the blue. And two, everyone I was with on the, on the bunny slope was six, seven, or eight years old. And I have nothing in common with those people. So I'm like, I'm out of here. So anyway, I, I decide I go, up the, I go up the lift again. And I say, all right, I'm going to go down the, the, I'm going to go down the blue slope. And now, just truth be told, I had no idea how fast I would be going down. Remember, I had only skied at that point twice. I had gone down the green slope twice. That's it. And so then I'm like, blue slope, I got this. I was standing up. I'm like, okay, here we go. I pushed off. And by the time I got to five Mississippi, I fell. But I didn't fall back, which is what I had hoped. I fell forward. And I fell forward, and I just started picking up momentum as I was going down. And then, so, I mean, and it's like, now all the snow is getting into my stuff. And then one of my skis comes off with the boot attached. That's the part that really added insult to injury. So I'm going straight down. And then the part that I really dislike the most is that I'm going down this hill very fast, face first. And there's this 12-year-old little punk <laughs> who's snowboarding, keeping pace with me <laughs> as he's laughing at me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was going to jail later because when we get down, it's on! So anyway, so now I get to the bottom of the hill and true story, I literally run into my friends who are at the bottom of that hill and I hit my friend Steve and he's like, Bob, what are you doing here? You were supposed to be on the other slope. And I'm like, I know, I just thought I, I, thought I could do it. And then like something out of a movie, right then the ski with my boot showed up. And he's like, hey, did you lose something? And I'm like, don't even start. Anyway, and then I was so just done. I grabbed my boot from ski, and I just left. And I went, to the, I went back into the little area, and I just sipped on hot chocolate the rest of the night. And once again, all because. All because. I'm like, no, I, I don't have to listen to that. I knew better. And, 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 and let me tell you something. And this is the, there's a point that Paul is, is making here, and that is the, the, the Holy Spirit is telling us that in latter times these things are going to happen, so we don't have to be confused or surprised. We're seeing something very seductive happen in our culture, something that's being called deconstructionism. And this is people that are saying that they are deconstructing their faith and claiming they aren't Christians anymore. Now, there are real cases of this where people are having a, a crisis of faith and they deserve our compassion and, um, and, our, and our support as they go through a difficult season. But, I, but they, they've made a critical error, which is that when you're going through a difficult season and things haven't worked out the way that you want, you're just throwing all of it away and saying that none of it is true. I mean, it, it literally, it's like me saying, well, skiing is horrible because you get all wet, you fall flat on your face at 20 miles an hour and you run into a wall. It's like, well, that may have been your experience, but that doesn't define all of skiing, especially when there's hundreds of people that are enjoying skiing and they were right next to you the whole time. And so, but the problem is, listen, having questions is good. And I've said this, if you've been around Calvary for any length of time, I've told you this, that Christianity is the only faith that invites questions. It's a thinking man's faith. It invites questions and challenges us not just to have questions, but to see God who has the answers. But there's something else at work in these deconstruction stories. And I've, I've had this observation for quite some time. 
And that my, my observation that I've noted is that at the root of this deconstruction is the desire to approve of things or engage in things that the Bible does not encourage us to improve, approve of or engage in. And so sometimes, and I've had these conversations, and especially a young guy, he'll say to me, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore. I can't reconcile the problem of evil in the world. Like, well, there's an answer for that, but I don't really think that's the problem. Uh, I think the real problem is you're sleeping with your girlfriend and you don't want to feel bad about it. And he's like, well, that's not the game. I'm like, well, am I wrong? Well, I don't think that's really the point. Like, I think that's exactly the point. And so, and I think that that, and, and my, my point is this, is that the questions don't always have the most altruistic of motives. And while there are well-meaning people that are struggling, some are simply using it as a smoke screen to live however they want. And that's the issue that Paul is getting at. There's deception. And, that, and the thing that he's trying to tell us as we get in latter times and end times, there are, there, the number one thing is deception. When Jesus talked to his disciples about the end times, the end of the world, the first thing that he said is, take heed that no one deceives you because the number one issue that they will be times of deception. You see, and that's why a lot of times these deceivers will fixate on things. They'll fixate on things like which food is more holier than, than, than others. I mean, just things that just, you know, really? Paul talked about this. In fact, you'll see it in Romans 14 when he talked about food. He said this. He said, receive one who was weak in the faith, but not to disputing over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who uh, does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now, there is a great vegetarian joke here, if, if you want to take it. It's not meaty enough for me, so I'm going to leave it alone. So, I know, and I just came up with that right now. Um, and so, now... What, what Paul is saying, and this is an important thing, because um, it, it almost makes it sound like, well, if you eat only vegetables, you're weak in faith, and if you eat meat, then you're strong in faith. That's not the point that Paul is making. The point that Paul is making is um, it's not your decision to be a carnivore or a vegetarian that makes you strong in faith. It's what offends you that makes you strong or weak in faith. The person who decide, makes a decision in their life to be a vegetarian, good for you. Listen, I prefer it. It's more meat for me. So I don't have an issue with that. The real issue is, is does, it, does someone who decides they're going to eat everything offend you? It's not what you eat that makes you strong or weak. It's the fact, it's what you're offended by. That's what Paul is saying is what makes you strong or weak in faith. And one of the things that I love about Calvary is that vegans sit next to carnivores here at church and, and, and love each other because the kingdom of God isn't about what you eat or drink. That's what Paul says. But we're living in difficult times you see, you know what used to be that people got mad at you when you made a bad decision? And now people get mad at you when you make any decision because there's 25% of the population that are outraged about everything. And so, um, you know, there was people, and, and I, once again, let me just say, when we reopened the church um, about, I don't know, 15, 16 months ago, I think we were the first church in Broward County to reopen. And I understand that, I mean, like, but I just, you know, somebody's got to go first. And so we decided we were going to be the ones who went first. And you would be amazed at how many people um, were so vocal about how upset they were about the fact that we were open, and, which I think is so weird because, um, you know, if you, if you don't want us to be open, don't come. Like, you can stay home. And if you do want, it's like, no, but you're just upset 
that we're open and that somebody else is there. And it's like, it doesn't have to be you. Yeah, but why can't we just keep it online? You stay online. And you watch me while you're heating up a bagel or eating your cinnamon toast crunch. Uh, some of us want to be in the room. And so, and, and you'd be amazed at how many people got upset um, over when we opened. There was another group of people when we reopened. They were very upset because we didn't open sooner. Like, I can't believe this. This should have happened three weeks ago. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, we're working on it. And it's like, I just can't. That's a compromise. And it's like, dude, go away. And uh, you're a Christian, so you're like, go away in Jesus' name. And so you got to say it Christian-like. And so, but man, there was people that were like mad over masks. And then there was people that wanted everybody in church to show like their vaccine card. And I'm like, what do you really think like I'm going to stand at the door and like like this isn't the library you don't need a ticket to get in you know and and so but but here's why people get mad people got mad because a politician told them to get mad and they believed that they should get mad and so we vilified anyone that thought differently than us and you know what happens then that politician gets elected and they never gave that uh, that issue another thought and by the way, all those laws that they, that they made, they never even followed them themselves. And that's the part that I think is truly shameful. Listen, we are living in times where even the facts are in dispute. So don't allow yourself to be deceived. Arm yourself with God's word and stay focused on the things that matter most. Because that's really the only way that you're really going to have a lasting example on the people who are around you, the people that you care about and the people that you want to care about the things that matter most. Well, Paul goes on in verse six and here's what he says. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables. That is, the word there is uh, muthos, which means mythology. He's talking about Greek mythology. Um, And exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Second thing I want to tell you, number one was be an example by believing what's true. The second thing is be an example by doing what's right. You know why I'm teaching you these things? Oh. Not touching that again. You know why I'm instructing you these things? Because Paul says you're a good minister if you do instruct people in these things. And because I want to be a good minister, I'm telling you. So anyway, thanks for listening. Um, But he says command and teach. That is share what needs to be done and explain how to do it. And I love what, how Paul commends Timothy because his life is an example of these things. And then he says this, a passage that's quoted all the time, where he says, to exercise yourself towards godliness. Now, this is a powerful statement because for us in the, in the capital C, church at large in the world, we've believed something different other than exercise yourself towards godliness. We've had this belief that godliness or maturity in Christ isn't something you exercise yourself towards. It's something mystical that just happens. And and the reason we prefer that is because if it's something mystical, then it's not my fault. 
I mean, it might be the pastor's fault or the church's fault or somebody else's fault, but it's certainly not my fault that I'm immature or not godly. It's just because someone else, uh, I have it. God hasn't given me the, you know, bibbity bobbity boob expelliarmus, whatever you want to call it, that kind of just like now gives me maturity. And that's why to show us that that's not the case, Paul compares godliness to physical exercise. And do you know that it's possible to have everything at your disposal to be mature in your relationship with Jesus, to be godly? You have everything at your disposal, but it's possible to have everything at your, at your disposal and still not be mature. How do we know that? Because it's possible to have everything at your disposal to be physically fit and still be unhealthy. And we all know that. You know, when I walk around my neighborhood, uh, all pretty regularly, and you know, as I walk around my neighborhood, you know what I see in every garage? I see some piece of exercise equipment. You know what I've never seen as I walk through my neighborhood? Someone using the aforementioned exercise equipment. Now, um, you know what I see? Uh, I see clothes on the treadmills. I saw a Christmas tree on top of an elliptical machine. And... Uh, but because, you know, we get excited about working out, oh, I'm going to buy the gear and I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to get the stuff. And then or we watch a late night infomercial and we started feeling bad because it was two in the morning. We're drinking a Coke and eating Cheetos. And we're like, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to change it. And then the, we get it first. And then you get it and you got to build it. And the day you build it, you're like, all right, that's my exercise for today because I built it. And then you work out the first day and you're like, man, I feel awesome. I'm going to do this every day. Then you wake up the next day and you're like, man, you know, I got to let my muscles breathe. I've read that once. And then you wake up the third time and you're like, you know what? I'm fine with the way I look. And, um, but seriously, I'm, I, 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 I got I to gotta make some changes. My wife told me I need to start doing crunches. So I'm doing 100 crunches a day. They're Nestle's crunches. But, but it's, a, it's, it's a change because I'm over three musketeers guy, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I love that joke. She didn't tell me to do anything because apparently many of you asked, like, what did you tell him? Like, she's like, I didn't tell him anything. I have no control over what he says. So just <laughs> FYI. So honey, there you go. Uh, just giving you some cover there. Anyway, so, but we know what it takes. We know what it takes to be, um, to, to be strong physically. So what is it? And once again, it's the same things that it takes to be strong spiritually. Here's what it takes. If you're a note taker, I put them in your notes here. Here's what we know. A healthy diet, right? That means good Bible teaching. Now, I know, besides being here, I know that some of you listen to other Bible teachers other than me during the week, and I will do my best not to hold that against you. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Um, but you've just got to listen to teachers who are actually teaching and not, not telling people what they want to hear, and that's rare. I mean, like, finding a teacher who actually teaches through the Bible. I mean, that's rare. That's like finding an honest, honest politician in Washington. Apparently it exists, but good luck finding one. And so, but what that also means is you've got to start feeding yourself God's word. That means you've got to get into the Bible every day and read books that broaden your understanding. If you're like, I'm already reading the Bible, then start reading books that broaden your understanding. Now, because I knew people are going to ask me this, I decided to do it for all of us, and I put some recommended reading in the back of uh, your outline. And so, anyway, all of these are good, and you can decide what you want, uh, what you want to read. They're, they're all excellent books, all very different. And, um, 
But here's the other thing that you want to do. If, if one is a healthy diet, then two is doing hard things. Lifting heavy things is what makes you strong physically. Doing hard things is what makes you spiritually mature. Now, we hate when trouble comes into our lives, when our lives kind of get upended by things. But you want to know the truth? I mean, if we're being honest, it is the primary way by which we grow and learn to trust God. And, and I mean, if I'm being honest with you, and, and, and I know it's the case in your life as well, the darkest moments of my life have always produced the deepest amount of growth. Isn't that just, and I wish it wasn't the case. I wish the, the key to growing spiritually was going to Disney World. Like, man, man, I came back from Disney. Like, dude, you're different, more godly. What's going on with you? I've been to the kingdom, man. It's like basking in the kingdom, you know? Right? Doesn't work. Doesn't work that way. And so, like, I've grown my waist at Disney, but never grown spiritually. And um, in fact, I think sometimes people take steps backwards uh, when they go to Disney. So, probably about five years ago, we were at the Magic Kingdom, and we were going to ride It's a Small World, because you're like, man, I need a song that's going to be in my head for the next four or five days. I know what to do. (laughs) So anyway, so the kids get in line, and I go to the stroller parking which, as you know, if you've been there recently, it's a small world. Right next to that is Rapunzel's Tower. They're like, oh, I want to go to Rapunzel's Tower. I remember my kids were like, they built Rapunzel's Tower. I want to go there. I'm like, you're going to love it. It's a restroom. And uh, <laughs> Rapunzel must be very insulted by that. Anyway, so the kids get, Carrie and the kids get in line. I park the stroller. And so I'm trying to get in line. I figured like when it loops around, I'll just, you know, get, get to them. But I'm walking in line and I hear this guy uh, his family, this guy and his wife and his kids, they're talking. And there's another woman there who I'm guessing is his mother-in-law by the level of rage that she caused. Um, and so anyway, and so she, I, once again, now I'm telling you this, I did not hear the full conversation, but you know, once again, who cares about context? Um, uh, but I can say this, she says this, she says, well, I just figured you knew what I was doing. Now, apparently, there's one thing you don't say to that guy, and it was that sentence, because he lost all control. Now, mind you, in public, people, like, usually, <laughs> they didn't care. He didn't care. It's a small world, after all. And so, uh, he just started letting loose. He's like, we don't know what you're doing. We can't know your plans unless you tell us, and you're stressing all of us out right now. And so, and I'm listening to this and I'm like, I'll catch up with my family later. I'm going to find out how this story ends. And so I'm, so now I'm just walking with them and the guy. (laughs) And so the guy turns around and I noticed he was wearing like this orangey shirt and he turns around and he's, the shirt says Hakuna Matata. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, this gentleman has no idea that that means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a decision to adhere to a problem-free philosophy. And so anyway, so I just in the back of my mind, I'm like, you know what I mean? Just like, dude, you should not be wearing that shirt two years ago. I'm in Orlando again. I'm speaking at this uh, event for pastors and church leaders at a hotel on the Disney property. And so we're there a couple days early, 
as, uh, just for, to do some family stuff. And so we're sitting having ice cream at Disney Springs for me. I don't know how you do your Disney trips, but it is not a Disney trip until I go to Ghirardelli Chocolate at a Disney Springs, get the world famous, not nationally famous or locally famous. It's world famous. That's how good it is. I get the world famous hot fudge sundae, and then I get a heartburn so bad that I feel like I'm going to die. That's how I know I've gone to Disney. It's like, oh, yeah, feel the burn. I mean, I was saying that even before Bernie Sanders said it. And so anyway, so, <laughs> so let's cue up those Bernie memes. Uh, and so anyway, so I'm sitting there just nursing my heartburn and I'm listening to this guy and there's this guy that walks by and he is screaming and cussing at his family. And I'm like, wow, that's not something you see at Disney every day. And the guy turns around and he's wearing the same Hakuna Matata shirt. And I'm like, what the heck is going on at Disney? It's like they will only give these shirts out to people with anger problems. Hey, I'd like to buy this shirt. Are you at least partially homicidal? Oh, I'm fully ready to snap. Here you go. Enjoy the irony. And uh, I don't know what's going on over there. Um, sorry, I just had to share that. Uh, but see, growing doesn't happen. Growing does not happen at the happiest place on earth. But here's what happened. But growing will bring so much joy into your life. And here's why. Because you're learning to live God's way. The moments when life gets real challenging and we didn't think we could trust God, we didn't think we could make the right choices that God was encouraging us to do, those were the moments that transformed us. In fact, the younger brother of Jesus, James, he would say it this way. It's a famous passage. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That doesn't mean that you're just, you're thrilled when trouble comes your way. You know, like, man, I'm like, you're so happy today. Man, my car blew up on the way to church. I'm walking on air. Of course you're walking. Your car blew up. And uh, so, but that's not the point. Like, if you love it when your life gets turned upside down, you probably need medication. But what James is teaching us is that, and this is something that you learn with time and maturity, is that trials and difficulty, while not exciting in the moment and not pleasurable in the moment. They produce a faith that is powerful. They produce a faith that is strong. And that is something to have great joy in. That even though what's happening in the moment isn't fun, it has great joy. So you might be perf- your joy might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All right, last thing. Verse 12, and this is so huge. He says, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Last thing, and that is be an example of living what's godly. Timothy was a younger man. In that culture, that meant he was probably about 30 years of age. You were considered a young man until you were about 40. Then you were considered something else, which bothers me. But 
But what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is not let his youth be a distraction. Now, I know that you haven't experienced this, but uh, being a pastor of a church, which Timothy was, when you are young, is difficult. I started Calvary, uh, my wife and I started Calvary, I was 26 years old. I don't even know that I was shaving regularly. And, so, and there were tough moments because when we started Calvary, 90% of the church was older than me. And so, and it was like, that's what you want to do? Like, you know, and, and they're like, I, I have kids your age. And it was, it was, it was challenging uh, because once again, it not, not only was most of the church older than me, the church was young too, and they didn't know me that well. And now uh, I, I'm 47, at least for another four days, and I'm hanging on to that dearly. And, uh, and I'm older than most of the people here. And it's, it totally changes, right? It, it changes it. And even if I'm not, uh, older than, than some people, I have enough of a track record of service, two decades, where people will give me the benefit of the doubt because I've been here as long as I have. But see, when the church is getting started and the pastor is young, it can make leadership difficult because people don't know you well enough to trust you. And I believe that Paul's counsel to Timothy is 100% correct. When you don't have a lot of experience to lean on, when you don't have a track record to look back on, the one thing that you can do that will garner trust and respect is to live an exemplary life because that carries tremendous weight. You see, and I know young people do this, they'll they'll quote this verse, don't let anyone despise your youth. And they think like, I'm not gonna let anyone look down on me because I'm young. That's good, but that's not even the point. Um, The point is that he's saying is that youth has disadvantages. The biggest being a lack of experience. That is, you don't know the things that you don't know. The disadvantage, uh, and, and once again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of what it is to be young. You just got to realize that, that there's a disadvantage. There's a lack of experience. The disadvantage of being older is that we have experience, but just like as you get older, your body becomes in, more and more inflexible and like everything hurts, you, you have that. The other thing is, is that sometimes your mind and your heart can become inflexible where you stop, you get kind of set in your ways and you stop listening to new ideas and we have to fight against that too. But the, the way a young person avoids the disadvantages of youth isn't by deciding, I'm not going to let anyone look down on me. By the way, you don't get to decide how people look at you. You only decide how you look at you and how you look at others, but other people make their own determination about how they look at you. But what, you, what he's saying is, don't let people look down on you by being an example. And he says, these are six ways that you can be an example. Your words, your conduct, your love, your spirit, that is your attitude, your faith, and your purity. And then he says, I want you to meditate on these things. And that's, the, uh, now let me explain. When the Bible talks about meditation, it's not like some Eastern philosophy that, it, that it's telling us, like just empty your mind of everything and sit in the lotus position and just chant um as you contemplate the universe. That's not what the Bible, the Bible is actually very opposite of that. When the Bible talks about meditation, meditation literally means this, seriously thinking. It's giving serious thought to a subject. Now you say, I don't know if I know how to meditate like that. You do. In fact, I'm going to show you. How many of you, this is for real, not like minor stuff, you've ever worried about something, like seriously worried about something? Um, there's no, I'm not, there's no, okay, show of hands. If not, some of you, like, are you, and I'm not even sure you're here yet. Um, okay, very good, most of you. Um, and then the other 10% are lying. And so... Now, if you know how to worry about something, then you know how to meditate because it's the same skill. 
where worry is simply meditating on something negative. Meditation is something on something positive. How, what do you do when you worry? You just play it over and over and over, and then something's going to happen. And then you think about every possible scenario that could be said, and then they're going to say this, and then you're going to say this, and then they're going to say that, and you're going to say that. Checkmate, sucker. And so you're going to, right? You're, you're kind of like, you're going back and forth, and you do that. And so instead of kind of playing it over over your mind, he's like, do that with God's word. In fact, the, the picture that the Bible gives us, like the Old Testament picture of meditation, is a cow chewing the cud. Now, what does that mean? Because a cow doesn't just eat grass. A cow eats grass, chews it, then swallows it. Then the gastric juices start working it. Then the cow throws it back up in its mouth. And I'm sorry to be gross, but it kind of throws it back up and it starts chewing on it again because now it's back with renewed flavor. And so... And what it does is that it squeezes every ounce of nutrient before it finally digests it. That's what the Bible describes as meditation. And that's why you can't just read the Bible one time. That's not enough to get everything that God wants to speak to you. So meditation really is like thought digestion. So I'm going to give you a couple of ways, four ways in particular to meditate uh, on the scriptures. Number one is you can picture it. And this is great if you're a visual learner that you think about what it must have looked like. I mean, what would it have looked like for Jesus to walk on water and head towards a boat that, that you were in, right? When the Red Sea parted, when the walls of Jericho fell, when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, what did that look like? The second thing is you can repeat it. This is good if it's not necessarily a narrative, but a truth where you do that and you emphasize maybe a different word in the passage. And that, that's what really what Paul's describing in, in ver, what he says in verse 15 to think about. He's talking about verse 12, and he's like, you know, how can you be an example to a believer in word? What does that mean? In, in, with my words, how am I an example? In my conduct, how am I an example? In love, how am I an example? The third thing you can do is you can personalize it. As we insert your name into the passage, if the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, what if you added your name in there? For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. You want to really um, go deep on this. Add the name of someone you don't like. For God so loved that knucklehead. So, wow, okay. If God loves them and sees value in them, maybe I need to... Now, it doesn't work with every passage. You can't be like, in the beginning, Bob created the heavens and the earth. All right, that doesn't work. So you got to be careful as to how you do that. Then the fourth thing you can do is pray it. That is, you turn the passage into the form of a prayer. And listen, here's why meditating is so important. Because God makes this wonderful promise that the person who meditates on God's word, that that will make them successful. And isn't that an amazing thing? Because you know what's going to happen? is that when you meditate on God's word, it's going to change the way that you think. It's going to change the decisions that you make, and it's going to change the actions that you do and the way in which you do it. When God is speaking to Joshua in chapter 1, he says this. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Listen, here's the thing that Paul's challenging us with, that we need wisdom. If you're young and inexperienced, then the need for wisdom should be more evident. And if you're older, 
then here's the challenge. Sometimes we think that just because we have some gray, that that automatically means that we're wise. That's not the case. Some people are 40 years old, and some people have been 10 years old for 30 years. I mean, it's, it, it, it just, wisdom is growing up. Wisdom is delaying gratification. Wisdom is doing what's right now for the purpose of what's best later. And this is why, as believers, we're encouraged to find the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is the benefit of hindsight before the thing even happens. And the good thing is, is that the wisdom of God is embodied in a person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God. I mean, how, how did Jesus become the wisdom of God? Because he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did for us what we would never think up to do for ourselves, and that's what wisdom does. He died for us. He rose again. We'd never have thought of that, but yet he did that for us, and it brings a life which we never even thought possible. And my friends, that's what wisdom does. It provides life and answers and insight and a change of direction that we all desire, but we would never have been able to find on our own. He invites us on the journey with him, and the challenge that we all have is if we're wise enough to take a step in his direction. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that very promise that we can be an example to everyone, every believer that's around us, every person who doesn't yet believe, as we examine these things that Paul told Timothy, that in our word, in our conduct, in our love, in our spirit, in our faith, in our purity, that we might live the kind of life that is honoring to you, the kind of life that transforms our world and the world of every person we come into contact with. So we thank you for that. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.